This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. And I, of course, am your host, Mitch LaFawn. Joining me on this episode, it is the one, the only, Steve Stevens from the Billy Idol band. And he, of course, done uh, has done Atomic Playboys and all that other stuff. And he has a new band now called Deadland Ritual, which features Geezer Butler of Black Sabbath, Matt Sorm of the Use Your Illusion era of Guns N' Roses, and singer Frankie Perez. The band has played a couple of shows, or played a show, and has some music on Spotify, but a full album is coming later in the year. And of course, Steve Stevens and Billy Idol hit the road this summer in a very, very short tour with Brian Adams. So Brian Adams and Billy Idol will be out in August, and to me, as a Canadian, that is just absolutely the most epic, epic uh, tour lineup. I mean, you know, 1983, 84, 85, when I was in high school, from Cuts Like a Knife to Rebel Yell to Summer of 69 to White Wedding, I mean, that that was it. You know, and if and this year, 2019, I've had a chance to meet and speak with Brian Adams, and now I've had a chance to uh, interview Steve Stevens. So just imagine if this was 1984 or 1985, man, I would have been the coolest kid in high school. So I'm just, you know, 30-some years too late and still uh, not that cool, but oh well. Oh well, c'est la vie. And of course, this is episode number two using this new Blue Yeti mic for serious podcasters. Well, you know, it, it's 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 interesting because I have to get used to a whole new um, setup. I mean, the way I had the headphones on before and the mic before and the mic placement was very, very different. And so I'm sort of doing this touchy-feely thing and, and the ambient sounds now. Now you can hear me, you know tapping on the desk. You can hear me doing all kinds of stuff which you couldn't hear before. And so that is is also new because now I have to sit perfectly still and try not to. And I have to not, you know, shout at the microphone and I have to be careful with my plosives and oh my God. Um, the, the, the machinations and, and, and the troubles I go through to get this show out to people, I'm telling you, it's terrible. Uh, okay, maybe not that terrible. I mean, you know, meeting Sammy Hagar, for example, not that terrible. Uh, Anyway, um, the interview with Steve Stevens is also the first interview I used this Blue Yeti microphone. So I'm I'm actually kind of curious. I'm sort of like on your side going, hmm, how is this actually going to sound? So hopefully it sounds great and hopefully you like it. And uh, there you go. And I will, of course, ask you to check out loudtracks.com forward slash Mitch Loudtracks. Uh, L-O-U-D-T-R-A-X dot com forward slash Mitch. I have a couple of t-shirt models up there and that of course is great uh, if you can uh, check them out and maybe even buy one. It does help finance the show but it also helps spread the word when you go to a show and you meet a rock star or your your friends and they see a t-shirt and, and anyway. It was designed by Claudio Bergman, who, of course, did the Firepower uh, album cover for for Judas Priest. Anyway, you know what? I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking. I know it's rock talk, and I'm supposed to do a whole bunch of stuff. But uh, let me just get into this interview, because I'm really curious about how it sounds audio-wise. I'm very curious about uh, what uh, Steve had to say. And, And 
By the way, just want, I just want to say very much a thank you to Steve. Normally, we go through all kinds of publicists and this and that, and Steve uh, and I follow each other on social media, and through those connections, we connected. And uh, it's sort of an old-school approach to to setting up stuff. You know, you, you reach out, and, and it's grassroots, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, um, what else can I tell you just before I leave? In terms of rock guitarists, uh, last week I mentioned the Brad Gillis solo album. It is uh, in its final stages. It's, I would say, 95% complete. There's a few tweaks and a mastering and all that stuff to get done. No label as of yet. It is hopefully going to come out in 2019. Um, Brad sent me 11 files to check out, or 11 songs, I should say, to check out. And and I'm not going to give you song titles because I don't. That's not my place. Brad will release information as Brad sees fit. So it's not up to me to start saying the album's called this or the record player's that, and this guy sang on it. And, well, the saying on it, I can tell you, actually, it's Gary Moon, who was on Feeding Off the Mojo. So there's a sort of a reunion of that Night Ranger lineup, if you want. But it is an absolute fantastic rock record. I mean, these are these are true rock songs that have hooks and choruses and, and melodies. And I am telling you, and, and yes, I'm a, maybe I'm a little biased because Brad and I get along. But it is great. Uh, when this thing comes out and you get to hear the final product, you know, all sort of done slick in the studio with the mastering and all that, because, you know, the demo demos are demos. But when, when, when it gets, you know, when all the candy is, is applied to it, you'll, you'll see you are going to love this album. So, so keep looking forward to the uh, Brad Gillis solo album. If you see Night Ranger or Brad, mention it to him and say, hey, I, I hear you have a solo album coming because... He his eyes light up when he talks about it, and rightly so, rightly so. And uh, anyway, all right, here we go. Uh, our first, or in fact, our only interview of the day. And yeah, you know what? I'm going to just quickly address that. I have decided, for an abundance of reasons, that the show from now on is going to be one interview at a time. And I will tell you some practical reasons and some impractical, whatever you want to call it. First and foremost, for me. Uh, in terms of traveling and getting around, and so it, it it had it became a little too laborious to put together two, three, four episodes. This, I when I have a break or or a, an extended lunch hour, I can sit down, I can punch it out, and we can have an episode. Second, I have had many artists and publicists say, you know what, Mitch, the interview you did with so and so is fantastic, it's great. However, you put it on a pairing with this band. And we don't want to promote that band or we don't get along with that band or it just doesn't make sense to us. Right. It's not always negative, but, you know, it, it, it the pairing didn't make sense to us. And so we're not going to put it on our socials. So for every reason under the sun, I'm just going to do Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon one interview. And as I was giving you two shows, two interviews, I figure maybe I'll give you four shows with one interview. Anyway, listen, it's going to be what it's going to be. I, I do have to travel. I do have to work. I do have to do other things, take care of the kids, walk the dog. I mean, you know, I will try my best to give you the same amount of content every week. And if it's once a week, then it'll be once a week. And if it's twice a week, it'll be twice a week. And if I have to do a couple uh, I'll do a couple. And um, in the next couple of weeks, you will also see some shows called Encore Presentations. And that is me unbundling interviews from artists 
and putting them back out as standalones for uh, some of the reasons I just mentioned, but also because I have had fans request certain episodes and they go, I can't find it and blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, the interview was last in a two hour show and I just couldn't sit through it or fast forwarding was too much. So I'm going to put a couple of episodes out as standalones and they're going to be called Encore Presentations. So if you see that in your feed, it says Encore Presentations, whatever artist, uh, just know that those are interviews that are from the past, you know, five months ago, six months ago, a year ago, and they're just being re-released as standalone. So if you haven't checked them out, of course, do check them out. But the information isn't like, oh, it's June 2019. It'll be, oh, okay. Anyway, um, here we go. Without further ado, see, you see that? You hear me talking? Ah, oh, this ambient stuff uh, is going to be interesting. Anyway, here is the one, the only guitarist extraordinaire, Steve Stevens. We are speaking with guitarist Steve Stevens' new band. is called Deadland Ritual. And of course, you folks know him best probably from his time with Billy Idol. Steve, just an absolute, absolute joy for me to talk with you. Uh, same. Likewise, Mitch. So let, let's talk about this band because we are speaking here on May 30th and you premiered the band on May 28th at the Troubadour. Uh, and of course, for folks who don't know, the band includes Geezer Butler, Matt Sorum, and Frankie Perez. Talk to me about that first show. Uh, you know, now that you've, you're off the high of, of having played it and the fans and the reaction you've seen, what was the show like for you and, and coming up with some original music to play along with the greatest hits? Yeah, I mean, we, um, you know... Uh, we made sure that we were really well rehearsed. <laughs> we rehearsed a lot, um, you know, much like, uh, you know, it's, it's, those aspects of being in a band really don't change. You know, you just get in a room and, you know, we, we originally had planned to uh, actually be in the studio and record our album before going out and playing, but uh, uh, logistically it just didn't work out for us. So we said, you know, let's go, you know, let's go out and play anyway, and you know, hopefully the you know the fans will be receptive to music that they haven't heard before. And uh, so that was the only ner- for me that was the only aspect that I was nervous about. Okay, how are people going to react to you know uh, stuff that uh, you know they hadn't heard before? And the reaction was just it couldn't have been better. I mean, it was it was just I was really shocked how people hung in there and were really rooting for us in a way, you know? Um, so obviously, you know, we, we peppered the, the set with, you know, one song they knew, one song they didn't, one song they knew kind of, um, you know, leapfrogging that way. But, um, uh, you know, halfway through the set, the nerves kind of went away and, uh, and we all kind of just like, we're in this groove of, of like, wow, you know, this is, this is really a great band. And, um, so, so it, it, you know, it turned from, from any kind of nervousness to just complete, you know, joy. And um, I think the response was, we couldn't ask for something, anything better. Yeah, I can imagine. And so what is sort of the plan for the band? Is it we do this one album and a few shows and then we go back and do what we normally do, you with Billy and Matt doing whatever Matt does? Or is this something that you could really see yourself sort of getting like a five-year plan going, okay, we're going to have... Uh, you know, album number two, we're going to do, how do you sort of see it going for the band? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's the f- first and foremost, it was never approached as a project. This was always a band. 
even in the way that um, we recorded, there was no none of this kind of shenanigans of flying files around and people adding bits and all. You know, we did it old school the way that we, you know, that we have done it in the past. And, and obviously, you know, we're taking a lot of our cues from, you know, classic rock and the way records were sweated out with guys in a room. Um, and, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm really committed to this. I'm, you know, I've always wanted to be in a great band with, with great musicians and, um, and this was just an opportunity in a time that's, that's right. And, um, you know, I've, I've gotten nothing but, but, uh, support from the Billy Idol camp and, um, uh, and, uh, hopefully logistically and, you know, timing wise and all that, oh, you know, I can work everything out. So I hope that they'll coexist. Yeah. I hope they, they coexist too. And of course, folks can check out, and I'm going to read it here. At deadlandritual.com, deadlandritual.com, if you want more about the band. But does this in any way suggest that recording new music with Billy Idol is out of the question and now you're going to focus on this? Because the last album came out in 2014, Kings and Queens of the Underground, which, by the way, is a fantastic, fantastic album. Um, where do you where do you see yourself going musically with Billy? Is, is that we're just going to go out and play some shows and do the greatest hits and forget new music, or is there something still cooking on that front too? Yeah, no, actually we, we had been writing, uh, some stuff for, uh, uh, some new music as well. So, um, so, uh, I think the plan is to do new Billy Idol music as well. So, so a, a little bit of, both, a little bit of both. Um, I, I do want to talk to you about your guitar style because I, I, I notice over the years when we talk about guitar heroes, you know, everybody throws out Eddie Van Halen and we throw out Jimi Hendrix. But I do think that your style is very unique and very, very particular. So talk to me about how you approach the instrument. Like you take a song like uh, You're Invited But Your Friends Can't Come and there's sort of two versions out there. And when you hear the version with you on it, you go... Oh yeah, that's Steve playing. It's, it's well, you do. It's identifiable. So, talk to me about sort of what makes you you in the sense of stylistically as a guitarist. Um, well, I, you know, one of the unique factors is that um, I picked up the guitar when I was seven and a half, and uh, my dad brought a crappy acoustic guitar home, and I didn't get an electric guitar till I was thirteen. So all of those years were spent learning folk and blues and, and flamenco. So I've got a real strong kind of rhythm uh, under, underpinning as my foundation, much like um, maybe Pete Townsend or something. So I look at the guitar in, 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 in this very rhythmic uh, aspect to begin with. Um, and then when I got an electric guitar, it was just exactly at that point where uh, we'll use the ugly word of prog, but but all of the early English prog guitar players really piqued my interest because they were the guys that were using or utilizing styles outside of blues-based stuff like, you know, let's say a Clapton or so. Uh, they were using uh, classical and jazz and particularly uh, like uh, Steve Hackett, Steve Howe, Robert Fripp. So I looked at the way that I approach the guitar and, and, and apply it to a song much like those guys where it's not just one guitar sound throughout a song, you're coloring it, you're, you're arranging it. And, um, and although, uh, you know, my career has been with 
with non-prog uh, music, my approach is still to to utilize colors and and tech and and textures and things. And also, I had a great love of Keith Emerson. So people ask, you know, how did the let's say middle of uh, Rebel Yell come about? The the uh, the breakdown, which people think that line is a uh, synthesizer, but it's actually guitar. And that was me replicating Keith Smoke sound. And so I, I always, I was fascinated with synthesizers early on. And so I think that's kind of what makes me a little bit unique. And then obviously hooking up with Billy Idol and applying that punk rock energy to it. Um, and we were, oh, some of our guitar rhythms were derived from things like suicide, you know, uh, these kind of, um, repetitive stabs and things like that, that kind of rhythm guitar thing that happened. I think the first time I did that was in White Wedding and Verses and things. So so it's a weird, you know, gumbo of, of different things, but I definitely look at guitar more from an arranging point rather than a performance point. You know, you're right because, and the word there I'm going to retain is textures because you don't just do sort of a straight rock guitar of, you know, you know, sort of one, two, three, here we go. There's all kinds of stuff going on with it. And, and that's what I find that makes it intriguing. When you listen to the Billy albums or Atomic Playboys or, or the other stuff you've done, it really is sort of this oral experience where there's so much going on, so much to capture. And, and which is why I think when you see a band do a Billy Idol cover song, you're like, yeah, that's that's, mm, but the guitar is not right. You know, it's it's hard to, it's hard to replicate. Um, let me ask you about Atomic Playboys. Uh, I, I know it's sort of this one and done thing. You have called it in the past the most expensive hobby of your lifetime, or or or, or something like that. Um, talk to me about the the need to make that album because, of course, back in. 89, Billy was on top of the world, you were doing world tours, you were all over the place, MTV Darlings, the whole thing. Where did you find the time to step out, and why did you find the time to step out and say, in the sense of, well, I can either go back and do this stuff with Billy and make a new album and move forward, or let me take some time for myself. Um, talk to me about that moment and why that album sort of came to be. It's a great album, by the um, way. Oh, th thank you. Um... Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously by then I be, you know, became recognized as, 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 you know, the guy that co-wrote the songs with Billy and, uh, and I had already, uh, you know, started guesting on other people's records. Um, and then record labels came a knocking and, um, and, you know, were throwing around exorbitant numbers and, uh, and at first, initially, I wasn't that interested, but then Warner Brothers, uh, actually Ted Templeman in, in particular, uh, came to New York and we met up. And um, and uh, and I liked Ted and I loved the records that he did from the Doobie Brothers to Van Halen, obviously, and uh, Montrose. And, um, and at, at that time, the, the last Billy Idol record I had done was With Last Smile. And you know, I, I felt, uh, you know, maybe right or wrong that after the success of, uh, rebel yell and going out for 10 months and, and having a shit hot band, uh, to go in a studio and sit with drum machines and sequences and stuff was not 
it was rewarding for me. It was, and it was very hard to fit my guitars in. Um, now I like that record, but, but at the time it was really a difficult record to do, um, uh, to, to not have real instruments behind my guitar. And, um, and also Billy was making the decision to move to Los Angeles. I wanted to stay in New York. So it wasn't like a falling out or anything. It was a, an agree, you know, I said, look, I'm going to go do my own thing and maybe, you know, in the future we'll, you know, hook up, but I, I, this is something that I need to do. Um, and, um, and once again, you know, I mean, fortunately we never slagged each other off. There was no reason to. And, uh, when we reconvened again, there was no, uh, amends to be made or anything. It was just like, okay, I'm going to do my thing and, and, uh, and, you know, best of luck. And, and you know, so I like um, Whiplash Mile, and and of course uh, the one that that came after. Uh, what was that? Uh, Charmed Life, right? Right. But you weren't on that, which was I'm not on Charmed Life. Which right. yeah, which which was a pity because uh, you can tell that it misses that. Um, real quick here, l- let's talk about the Vince Neil Exposed album. You know, because it doesn't say Motley Crue on the marquee, a lot of folks sort of went, well, it's not an, a real album, or it's not this. The, but that is a fantastic album. Talk to me about those sessions and coming in here because he, he did the song, You're Invited But Your Friends Can't Come for the soundtrack, then you right. re-recorded for the right. album. Um, talk to me about that and, and working with Vince. How involved were you in, in, in all the aspects from the songwriting to the arranging to the coming up with musical ideas? Was it really a Vince solo album or was it Vince and Steve and the rest of the guys? Um, no, I mean, Vince was, was heavily involved in it. I mean, it was, you know, as, as, as you would expect a a guy whose name's on the cover. Um, it, it, for me, it was, uh, an opportunity, uh, well, let me backtrack. First of all, I was signed to Warner brothers and, um, and when Vince was signed, uh, I got a call from the head of A&R saying, you know, we've signed Vince Neil. Would you be interested in something? And, um, and I said, you know, I always look at something, you know, and go, oh, yeah, this, you know, I loved the Dr. Feelgood record. <laughs> so that was absolutely, this, you know, state-of-the-art heavy rock record. Um, but I didn't know anything about Vince, and I really didn't, more importantly, I didn't know anything about the L.A. metal scene. I'm a New York guy, so... So I fly out to meet him, uh, and we got in rehearsal, and I kind of liked, you know, the, the the vibe. And what I really liked was that um, I was being given a platform to play a lot of heavy guitar, much like with Deadland, because it's a, it's a, it's, it, it's, you know, although I, I, my career was made in the '80s, I was really raised on all those kind of, you know, early '70s, you know, rock guitar heroes. So. Um, so I thought, yeah, you know, this could be a cool, cool opportunity. And it was, um, uh, Ron Neverson was the producer on it. who was absolutely fantastic to work with. Um, Vicky Fox, who I knew already from, from, uh, enough's enough. I had guested with them at a couple of shows. So, um, so it was, um, you know, I, I, I making the actual album. And also by the time that I joined, I, we were also told that we'd open for Van Halen and, it's a friend of mine, and I just thought, yeah, this could be, you know, a hell of a lot of fun. And, and and making the record was a lot of fun. 
I can imagine. I can't imagine being in a room with Vince Neil and not be fun. I mean, I have my own story with him where after a show in Quebec City, he asked us to go to, you know, the, the strip joint and, and it ended up being an incredibly... <laughs> can't imagine, right? Um, just to quick, quickly back on Deadland Rituals. So you've got this band, but you had done Atomic Playboys. You had done some of the other stuff. Does a solo album at this point still interest you, or is it, nah, I'm a band guy. Either I'm doing Billy or I'll do Deadland, but, you know, enough's enough. Um, well, I was actually planning on doing a solo record. Um, well, sort of a quasi-solo record. I had, I had done a solo tour in Europe with Frankie Perez on vocals. Um, and Frankie and I were already talking about doing something, and I was already talking to a label about doing something. Um, not an instrumental solo record, but a, a you know rock solo record. Um, and then uh, Frankie calls me and says, "Hey, you know, I've been having the same conversation with Matt Sorum. Why don't we all meet? Da da da. We meet with Matt. I kind of demo up a couple ideas, you know, based on you know our conversations. And then I get a call from Matt who says Giza Butler is available to meet with us. And and um, you know, I I don't. I think this band satisfies uh, what I would have uh, uh, musically a lot of what I would have done as a solo artist. Um, as I said, I wasn't interested in doing an instrumental record. I had the last uh, solo record I did uh, memory crash was instrumental. And um, I found it really, I found it really hard work and not having a singer there. So, I mean, there's some guys who take to that naturally and, and um, you know, uh, or you know can easily adapt uh, instrumental stuff without a singer but i i'm so used to working with singers i mean that's i mean i've worked with some of the best in the world and that's just like my wheelhouse well in fact let me let me ask you about the singer in 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 this for all of me uh, billy idol and i'm going to ask you a two part question but it's very simple what has he meant to you both professionally and then also both personally cuz I, I can imagine the relationship is different in both but I can also imagine that they're equally as important, right? So, so what has Billy meant to you? Let's say Billy retires next year and it's just you and him as friends. Talk to me about what he's meant to you personally and professionally. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you know, obviously there's incredible admiration for each other and what we've achieved. And, and you can't, that's something you can't just fake or, you know, I mean, we, we, we hang out socially, uh, our conversations, on a personal level are deep because we've both, you know, it's a 37 year, uh, friendship. And, um, you know, I mean, I've, I had, I had gone on vacation with his folks and, you know, we both have lost our dads and, 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 uh, you know, there's a lot of shared emotional experiences that we've both been through. So, um, so, so in that respect, it's, you know, it's not just a, business partnership kind of thing. Um, and, um, and I'm incredibly proud of the guy when I get on stage with him, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, proud of the fact that, that, that he's, he's one of the greats, man. He really is one of the, the, the great frontman singers. And, um, and the fact that you get in front of an audience and you play songs that, that, mean have meant so much to people in their lives a lot of times people will say you know man you know uh, my parents are no longer around but i remember the first time i put on rebel yell and they were banging on my door 
tell me to shut that shit up. You know, it's like uh, people have been married to it. They've named babies after stuff. You know, it's like, and you want to honor that. And, um, and I'm, uh, you know, to, to be with, to, you know, somebody in the business for 37 years is unheard of. And, and, uh, and we really, really value that. It really yeah, is. We really value that. And I will, I will go as far as saying that the relationship to me is the same as Paige Plant, the same as Tyler Perry. It, it's one of those where, and I mean no insult to anyone, but I think you sort of both need each other. I think Billy became Billy because Steve Stevens gave him that guitar soundtrack. And, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Steve Stevens became Steve Stevens because Billy was singing those songs. And it just, that oh, combination, right? Absolutely, yeah. And we, we forged a style together. I mean, we really, in the early days of meeting up, all we would do is he'd play me records of, of Susie and the Banshees and things like that, and, uh, you know, stranglers that I didn't really know, I didn't know about. And and uh, and we kind of like went, yeah, wouldn't it be great to use a little bit of this? And his love of reggae kind of helped us, uh, you know, do dance remixes for records. You know, we, we were you know, it was us and Def Leppard who were the first doing rock extended remixes. And, um, you know, that was kind of uncharted area. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, um, it's my, my respect for the guy is, it, it's just through the roof. Oh yeah. And, and when you came back for devil's playground as a fan, it was just like, Oh, thank God. You know, it's like Joe Perry <laughs> going back to Aerosmith for, uh, what was that album done with mirrors or whatever. Um, I know that we we said 25, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep an eye on the thing. So let me just quickly move over to this tour. You're doing a very very short run, like uh, I'm trying to think here, eight or nine dates with Brian Adams. And as a Canadian, to you know, to to see Brian Adams and Billy Idol on the same bill, that that's like three hours of MTV Top 40. I mean, it, there's not one song in that set or either set. That's going to be a dud. It's going to be a massive hit followed by a massive hit followed by a massive hit. Um, <laughs> just quickly talk to me about about that pairing. And do you think it might be extended at some point? Because let me hear. Let me see. One, two, three, four, five, six. It's nine shows. I mean, do, do we do more or is it just, hey, come out and see this and enjoy it? Um. I, I, I Right now, it's just those those nine shows. We had actually played... Uh, uh, with with Brian Adams, we played a show in uh, somewhere in Europe, um, and we all got along really well. And, and and Billy and I got out got out there. We opened for Brian on that night, and we got out with him afterwards. And we did uh, oh, I forgot some classic rock and roll song or something. And uh, and we realized that uh, that Brian and and I believe his guitar player's name is Keith. Um, and, uh, and I had been together. We, we were all standing in a room and said, wow, he's your Steve Stevens. <laughs> you know, they've been together the same amount of time. And, um, so we just like a little light bulb went off. Well, you know, we should maybe do something together down the road. And, uh, and he's an awfully nice guy and one of the great singer songwriters. And, uh, so this made a lot of sense. I think the audiences are, are perfect for each other. I fully agree, and in fact, uh, you're playing in Guildford, New Hampshire on August 1st, and that's going to be my daughter's 16th birthday, and last night, my wife and I said, listen, Jada, we're going to have to celebrate later, because mom and dad are going to Brian Adams and Billy, <laughs> Billy Idol, that, that, that's going to happen, um, 
And just before, uh, and your daughter said, and your daughter said, "Who were they?" <laughs> she she did actually, well, not not to be not to be rude, but she sort of went, "Uh huh." But I said, "Jada, you'll understand." Uh, but just uh, real quick, because I know we're going to run out of time. Uh, the Rebel Yell album that is not just a Billy Idol album. That is a, a, an iconic American or an iconic uh, you know album of the ages. You don't have to be a Billy Idol fan to know that album, to know those songs. You know, it's, it's it's sort of like me being the rock guy going, yeah, I know Planet Earth from Duran Duran. I'm, you know, talk, mm-hmm. talk to me about that album and, and looking back on it. Now, when did it come out again? 83, right? So, oh my God, it goes, it goes time flies. But looking back on that, uh, you, you, first of all, do you think it's held up and and how how do you sort of look at it these 36 years later i mean it, it's it really is a unique piece of work that is you, you caught lightning in a bottle on this one yeah i mean i've got to give full credit to to this really the third uh member of the band there that's keith forsey our producer who uh was really intrinsic and in, in, he you know he's as equally uh uh uh, to blame or <laughs> to to get credit for that record, um, you know we had we you know I would the the previous Billy Idol record the first one was done in Los Angeles I had never really done a record before I was you know uh, very lucky to have a producer like Keith Forsey who was um, uh, very patient with me uh, you know they could have very you know it's a it's Billy Idol I'm newly in the band. You know, they could have very easily, like, uh, you know, gotten session people to to do things that were maybe taking me longer because I wasn't experienced or whatever. But they didn't do that, and um, and I really appreciated that. But the decision was made to do the next record in New York, um, and um, and I tell people, you know, when you have something that's that, that's undeniable, it, it, it's there's no like question mark about it. We knew once we started writing the songs and once we started uh, rehearsing, we, you know, got in the studio, we were fortunate to get in to uh, electric lady studios, which was Jimi Hendrix studio. Um, I, I was frustrated with how my guitars were being captured because, you know, I bring in classic guitar records, you know, and say, that's what I want my, guitar to sound like and it wasn't wasn't you know i didn't know how to get that but i knew it wasn't being captured that way and um and fortunately we were managed by bill coin who was kiss's manager said oh why don't you call dave whitman the guy who did the kiss records and also you know physical graffiti and all these classic rock records and he came in and within you know three hours my guitar sounded like the way i imagined it and that was really a big part of it. Finally, I had a guy who was going to capture the guitars right. And Tommy Price, the drummer, um, happened. You know, we were looking for a drummer, and he happened to be in the uh, studio B with a band called Scandal. So we nicked him. <laughs> hey, you sound good. Come in here, play on a couple of tracks, and um, and from that point on, you know, when we put, do the playback, we went wow we've got something here and it's, it was, uh, it was, you know, we knew it, we knew it. And we, we worked really incredibly hard on that record. 
You know, and and that's the first time in all the interviews that I've ever heard somebody credit Bill O'Coin for sort of helping this come together because Dave comes in and does the engineering and the mixing. And you're saying to me that if it wasn't for Bill making that suggestion, perhaps Rebel Yell might not have been the Rebel Hill, the Rebel Yell that we know. And that's that's amazing. So so how instrumental was then Bill in in everything? Well, Bill, you know, I was managed by Bill uh, before, uh, uh, before meeting Billy Idol, I was in a previous band that didn't work out. Bill calls me, says, you know, you heard of Billy Idol, uh, I'm managing him. He's moving to New York. So Bill was the guy that put us together. And then it was during the, the course of rebel yell. I mean, there was, there was some jitters on the part of, of Billy Idol, you know, a doing a ballad like eyes without a face, you know, he's a punk rock guy. And it was, and, um, and Bill was the guy to say, you know, try it. You, you know, if if at the end of the day you hate it, you don't put it on the record. Um, Bill was the guy to um, allow some extended guitar things on the on the record, guitar solos that maybe Billy Idol was a little bit nervous about. Because punk rock is not about extended guitar solos. It was about being economical and getting to the point and. Bill made that relationship work in the early days. He he uh, he allowed each of us to get our say in a safe form and uh, without just going "fuck you, this is my thing." Yeah, you know. Um, he was a great mediator, and he also kept the record company off our backs. You know, he uh, he was powerful enough to say. Just let them do what they want to do. You know. Wow, that's amazing. I I never realized that Bill was so involved in the process. Because, you know, as a fan, you look at it and you go, well, it's all Billy Idol. It's all Steve Stevens. It's all, you know, Paul Stanley. It's all Gene Simmons. And you you sort of forget that there's a whole crew and cast of characters in the shadows that 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 make these things possible sometimes. So that's interesting. Um, we are at half an hour, and we said we would do 2025, so I will respect that. Uh, but folks, deadlandritual.com, deadlandritual.com, and... Uh, from the bottom of my heart, Steve, just uh, thank you for, first of all, the interview, but all the music over the years. When you look back and you hear Rebel Yell and Flush for Fantasy and Catch My Fall and the stuff that can't... I mean, that that's the soundtrack of a lot of people's lives, not just mine, not sure. just my wife. Sure. And, and, and yeah. you know, thank you for your, your gift, for the lack of a better word. You know, uh, as we say, <laughs> as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. It's, it's just, uh, yeah, right. know, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. And, and, uh, coming up in, uh, on August 1st or whatever, I, I'm, I am going to make the four hour drive. I'm going to see this show come hell or high water because it is going to be a spectacular evening. And, uh, there you go. I'll, um, I'll finish with this, though. When do you think the Deadland Ritual album will be out uh, in its entirety or whatever? Um, we hope to finish recording it this year. I mean, whether it comes out the you know, latter part of this year, that's, you know, the, this whole, you know, campaign that has to be done around it. But we literally in uh, five days, we head to Europe to do all the festivals over there. And then there'll be some U.S. dates and um and uh, and we hope to be in the studio and wrap up a record. I mean, we have the material, we have the songs, um, and uh, it's just a matter of uh, of getting in there and documenting it at this point. Oh, can't wait. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. We will catch you online. Merci. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Mitch. 
You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk. 